0: Get started here, Romans chapter 8. And uh, glad everybody's here. Let's hear. And we will uh, just uh, continue on in our study in Romans 8. And the summer's getting coming to an end, and we're getting moving here. So uh, we are now down in verse 28. So 828. So let's start reading there. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The question in verse 37, the first question there, what shall we then say to these things? Again, Paul asked a question, and the intent here is on the question is to get you to think, to get you to work through it, to, to mind down through the stuff. And as he begins now in verse 28, he's again beginning to introduce to us for the very first time, the issue of the eternal purpose of God, God's etern- the eternal counsel of God, the eternal view. Here's what God's after. If you look there at the end of verse 28, "...who are called according to His purpose." And again, we don't have all the details here. We're in Romans 8. We are learning. We're, we're growing." Now, we're going to get the specifics in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. But here, he's beginning to introduce to us this issue of the eternal counsel of God. And he does it, again, in the context of verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 28, first word. And we know. So it's not a new subject and contextually. The the context is suffering. From verse 18 to verse 39, the context is suffering. The the suffering there, and again, we've seen this over and over again. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also. We learn that we're, we suffer because of our connection to the sin-cursed creation. We, we, we've seen that. We also understand and learn that we suffer because of our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're heirs of God, and if we make those decisions and so forth. So when we begin here in verse 28, and we know all things work together, for him, and, and then you got called according to His purpose, Then according whom he did foreknow. Then he predestinated. Then he called and justified. All of these little key words now that are beginning to pop. All right? The issue here is suffering. And there's a component here that we're now going to learn about our suffering. And what we're going to learn is while we do groan, verse 22 and 23 there... Our suffering begins to intensify as we learn and as we move through. If you look down at verse 36 or verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. That's an, that is an intensification of the suffering. Okay? Okay. Then in verse 39, or verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other... There's an intensification there now. So in light of the context, and in light of the issue of suffering, Paul is building into our inner man, into the realm of our thinking... When he says there in verse 23 that we have the first fruits of the Spirit, then in verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And we spent the time looking at the issue of prayer as he introduces prayer to us in verse 26 and 27. And the fact that the Spirit works in the realm of our inner of, of our inner man, of our thinking processes, as he takes the Word of God and builds us up, Verse 28 now, again, this section, (laughs) people break their theological fool necks on this stuff in here. And when you think about where we are, Paul is just building. The context is the issue of suffering. The context is this, we're learning about something here. Verse 28, and we know that all things, we know some, we are learning, we're growing what do we know already? Verse 23, the end of the verse, what are we waiting for? The adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Notice the, term, the word redemption. He doesn't say you get a new body. He says it's a redemption of our body. Now, we know from Philippians 2 that we get a new body and so forth in 1 Corinthians 15. But the thing is, is there's a, it's a redemptive talk. It's redemption language. This is not about your justification. This is about verse 24. What do we learn about? We're saved by hope. And we begin to look at hope. So we've learned that we have this hope. We we learn we're going to (laughs) suffer. We have infirmities. They're coming because God chose to leave us here on planet earth. You're going to suffer. You're going to get diseased you're going to decay, and you're going to die. Oh, what a life, you know? And it starts the moment you're born, by the way. They don't tell you that part, but it does, right? <laughs> but, but what do you have? You have a hope. You have this redemption of our body, and that is beginning to sustain us and, and motivate us in the hope. How do we think about our infirmities? Well, we have a hope. Verse 26 we have an addition to that. Likewise, what happens? The Spirit also helpeth our... So not only do we have a hope, now we have a helper. The fir- we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Think about Ephesians 1.13. We're sealed with the Spirit of what? Promise. Okay? He's the earnest of our inheritance. He's the guarantee that we're going to get an inheritance. He's the guarantor, the same guarantee, the same person guaranteeing everything's going to happen. Now is going to come over here and help you lift the infirmity, help you work through it. And what Paul is doing here is he's building in all of this truth. He's building in all of this sound doctrine into the, our inner man, that's going to lead us to the conclusion of verse 18 that the suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory. You see, he starts the section with the conclusion. Here's where we're concluding. Here's where we're going. We're going that the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory. More glory, even though you're you know, miserable up here. What's coming? Glory. And he's continuing now to build into our inner man a, the doctrine, the truth, the sustaining hope. But now he's going to move to our eternal, uh, to the eternal purpose of God, this future hope. And he's beginning to, he's providing with us, if you look there at verse 28, and we know he's developing into our thinking these truths that are designed to preoccupy our thinking. Now, think about this. We're not to dwell in our suffering. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. You're not to dwell there. Where do you dwell? Over here in the sustaining doctrine. To dwell in your suffering is to not dwell where you're supposed to be. Yesterday we had the men's fellowship. And we got to talking about afterwards. uh, We had a great time. uh, uh, Just really Q&A. It really is kind of what broke out. (laughs) So... um, We got to talking about the issue with COVID and then this new variant and everything, but how to think about it, see? Now, none of us want, you know, X, Y, Z to happen. We don't, whatever your your stance is. But how do you think about it? If your first knee-jerk reaction is to come over here and to think about it the way that the, you know, one group would have you, you're wrong. Your first reaction is, is, what does Scripture say about this? See, I got a text uh, this week about, hey, how do you deal with, with uh, the employer demanding that you get vaccinated? Well, the first knee-jerk reaction, everybody is what? Well, how dare they, blah, 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 blah. No, as a believer, your first knee-jerk reaction should be, What does Ephesians 6 tell me my attitude about work should be? Follow that? See, what happens is, and that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 8, don't have the knee-jerk reaction of your flesh and what you think you ought to be getting. The first reaction is, is what does Scripture say? You know what Scripture says in Ephesians 6 about work and your relationship there? You're not doing it to men-pleasers. You're doing it to get a paycheck. You're doing it for Christ. You're doing it because the mandate for you is to have a job and is to work and to provide and that God isn't going to miraculously provide you stuff. Give us our daily bread. Could you imagine begging God for your daily bread? You know what he would give you, don't you? Wonder bread. Da-da-da! <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, manna was a white bread. It, you know, it was a white. It was, anyway, it doesn't matter. See, the knee-jerk reaction... That we all have, and it's normal, because we're what? We're human. Is uh right, 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 get in a de- and it's like, wait a minute, what does Ephesians 6 say? Now, what you can do, obviously, is you have the ability to quit and to do something else, or you can say, you know what? My attitude is to please the Lord, not men pleasers, and I can go do what they want me to do and be okay. I know every head turn. (gasps) what, he just okayed getting vaccine. No, I didn't say that. I said, you have the ability in God's grace to make a decision. And you know what God's not going to do? Strike you down with a bolt of lightning. You chose to do. But our first knee-jerk reaction is what? How dare the government tell me? No, that's wrong. Your first reaction is, what does my relationship from here say? Now, if you look here at Romans eight, we'll get back in the, get off my high my my pedestal. You know, it just it, I see that, and I'll be honest with you, folks, I'm amazed at the reaction from grace believers on some of this stuff. You get all balled up. Paul tells Timothy that a good soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world. I'm like, why? yeah, I read that, I go, Now, he doesn't say get out of the world and don't live in the world. He says don't get what? You know what it is to get entangled? All balled up. I was watching a guy the other day. You ever watch wrestling? Wrestling? You know, Monday night Smackdown? Wham! You know what? It was the funniest thing, because it's on Monday night on Fox, local channel. And the first one that they had after COVID hit where they couldn't have the crowd... It was hilarious because those guys feed off the energy of the crowd. There's no crowd, so they come out and they're like, "Yeah!" and there's and it's dead silence. <laughs> Somebody had forgot to hit the music button, you know. And I, ah, yeah, and you can hear anyway. Verse 31. The question. Paul's, folks. Paul's building into our thinking here. Again, we're in Romans 8. We're building the foundation. And he's building in this issue about how not to dwell on our suffering, but rather to focus in on our eternal reality. So he asked a question in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? Let that sink in. Paul asked a question to educate us, to cause us to think, to provoke our thinking. When what Paul's saying is, is what do you say to these things? What do you say about the stuff we're looking at? Verse 26, 27, 28, 22, 20, this whole section here, what do you say? What's what's your concluding thought? Does it match up with what the doctrine is teaching you? And that's what he's after. So in verse 28, now Paul is going to, Lay in the next little section of doctrine on you, and it pertains to the eternal purpose of God, his eternal counsel. If you look over at Ephesians 1, um, let me find it here. Ephesians 1, verse 11, he says, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him." who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And again, we'll get the details in Ephesians. Paul is introducing this to us in Romans. By the way, Paul has introduced to you the idea of the rapture, the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. How does that happen? Now, he gives the details in Thessalonians and in Corinthians. But he's introducing to you a what? A gathering together, a, a, an event that's going to have to happen. Sometimes people say, Paul never really talks about the rapture till later. No, he's talking about it right here in Romans. Actually, he's already talked to you about it in Romans 4 and in Romans 5. You just got to catch the hints to it. Verse 28 here. 8:28, Romans 8:28. Paul's going to begin to demonstrate that we're a part of something bigger. Something of eternal significance that all of the present suffering pales in comparison to. And that's really what he's getting to. He, he, everything that's going on in your life today, August 22nd. <laughs> I don't have my cheat note up here. All right. 2021. 2021. Everything that's happening today pales in comparison with our eternal future. And we're to look at things. Again, remember the the Spirit maketh intercession. He doesn't intervene. He comes in as that third party. And he brings our frail thinking up in line with the Father's thinking does it through the word, working in you, and he, what are we doing? Hey, man, if you can catch the eternal purpose of God, guess what? You ain't going to care about whether you got to take a vaccine shot or not. You're just not. I mean, if you th- by the way, if you think about that, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Death? Is that really that bad? Absent from the body, present with the Lord? I don't know. I'm just thinking about that. You see, you got a different perspective about this. Now, granted, you know, if what they say is true, and I don't know if it is or not, nor do you, by the way, it would be a bad way to die, <laughs> suffer through it. But not if you have the what? The proper perspective. I've talked to people who have passed away who are believers who have had some of the most severe cases of cancer. Not a quick death. A long, dr- and you know what? They never wallered in the mire. They never said, woe is me. You know what they said? Just, when is it done? <laughs> they said, you know what? I'd rather glory in tribulation, knowing that it worketh patience, patience, and quote Romans 5. I'd rather be there than over here worrying about something that'll never that is going to take me one day anyway. I, I watched a, a gentleman he used to go to Shorewood and he just suffered through pancreatic cancer, and I'd go with Dad and we would you know I would I would go and because I knew him and we would go and Dad would sit there and and he, and the gentleman would read to Dad and I. Romans five, Romans 8, 1 Thessalonians four, and read it, glorying in it. And his morphine drip was pumping away because of the pain. He didn't. He wasn't going. Oh, you know, woe is me. You know, what did I do? What? What's he, he's resting in that eternal future. So for the first time here, Paul is going to bring into our thinking processes. This issue about hey we know that all things work together for good to them that are call, that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. And there's that reference to the eternal purpose of God. And again, whatever's going on in your life, always remember that there's something far better. And far more significant that you're a part of bigger there's some if you if you can grasp and you're thinking the significance of what's going on in the universe and the fact that you and I are a part of it you're an eternal participant the mess of today goes away it really does you still got to eat and pay bills, I got that. But the the, the onslaught of the control just It goes away. The entanglement of it goes away. You don't have to worry about. It. What are you worried about? Something you can't fix. Because if you think about COVID, you know where that comes from? Sin. It's part of the sin cursed creation. Well, Rick, it's just a flu. What do you think flu is? It's part of the sin-cursed creation. You can have, okay, we put that over there. I'm going to react this way because I understand something here. So that question in verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? How are you going to think, how are you going to react to life in light of God's ultimate plan and purpose that you're a part of. How do you think about this? See how Paul's just, he's asking you. I'm asking you, how are you going to think about it? So what does he, now he's going to educate us on how we are to think about it. All right. And I know what happened, don't get me wrong. I'm the first one like all of you to have that knee jerk reaction of, oh my goodness, you know, chicken little, the sky's falling. But then you know what you have to do? You have to go, hang on a minute, deep breath, let's go back over here, and let's get back to, back to reality, okay? So verse 28, he's going to lay, lay out some things here for us. It, uh, that question, it, it reminds, I've written here, why live a defeated life or have a defeated attitude about life? when you can adjust your thinking to have an attitude about life the way God would have you to have it, that comes from understanding the doctrine. Understanding. So he's going to use some terminology here. He's going to talk about his purpose, the end of verse 28. In verse 29, he's going to talk about him foreknowing something. (laughs) I think about him for. He's God. Of course he foreknows everything. He's he's omniscient. He knows it all. You know, there's there's nothing hid from him, you know. Then he's going to talk about predestination. By the way, look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did what? Predestinate. What's the next word? To. You see, that word predestinate, by the way, foreknowledge, that, that that word defines itself. Knowledge before, for, knowledge beforehand. But predestinate defines itself for it, it, the word defines itself also. Destination, what? Pre-determined. You have a destination that's been predetermined to be conformed to the image of His son. This is not talking about out there in the heavenly places yet. He's talking about right here and now in time, you have, your destination has been predetermined to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Follow that? Now we're going to get into all that over the next couple weeks because of what theology does to this stuff. Then he says, verse Well, in the end of verse 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Conformed to to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you know that Christ is your brother, according to the end of that verse? Brethren. What does Christ have that we're going to be conformed to? Well, we're a joint heir, aren't we? What's the first thing he gets? What makes him the firstborn of what? Resurrection. That's the first. He's not the firstborn human. He's not. He's the firstborn from what? Resurrection. Well, what's our hope? Verse twenty-four, the end of verse twenty-three. The adoption to it. The what? Redemption of resurrection. You see, we have a predestinated image to be conformed to his what? His son, firstborn of what? Resurrection. So we're been predetermined to be what? Resurrected. But we don't have that as a present reality yet, do we not? We don't. But we can do what? We can sure live like we have it. And that's really what Paul's going to get to down here in the rest of this chapter, is you and I ought to be thinking Like we're already up there in the heavenly places. You ought to be living your life that way. You ought to be, instead of having that knee-jerk reaction to this, you come over here and say, okay, what is God's word? What did the son say in the garden? What was his knee-jerk reaction to the cup coming his way? Take it away. Get it out of here. Is there any way? Three times we've looked at that. What was the reality? Not my will, but thy will be done. You see, reality is God's word. The moment in his humanity, what did he scream? Help! Get it out of here! So, what do we scream in our humanity? Help! Get it out of here! What is reality? Isn't there a song something like that? Anyway, I was anyway Foo Fighters or some uh, Flying Monkeys or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my uh, headbanger days come back to mind, R- right? I did. I didn't have the long hair, but I had the headbanging going pretty good. I have no hair now, you know. (laughs) I have more on my cheeks than I do on my top. Anyway, what's reality? Reality is, here's what God's word says. So he's going to use these terminology. Purpose. Foreknowledge. So if you think about this. Purpose. That's going to bleed... Into a four, a for no, that's going to bleed into a predestination. And then in verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, what did he do? He called, he justified, and then he glorified. And I will remind you, all of those are past tense, they're already done. So we're not talking about what theology comes in and talks about. We're talking about God foreknowing something. He did foreknow something, didn't he? And he kept it a secret, called the church the body of Christ. See. Then he said, all right, I'm going to give these guys a destiny. And I'm going to predetermine that. And I'm called justified and glorified. Now, we're going to get into all of those terms because of what theology does to it because what Paul's demonstrating here is that God's purpose did not predestinate, pre-foreknow you, pre-plan that you get saved. Okay? He doesn't sit over here and have a road map for your life pre-before any, you were ever existed. See, look over with me at Ephesians 1, just, just so you, you catch what's going to happen here. Ephesians 1, verse number 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him. You see that chosen us? That word chosen is the word election, same Greek word. Chosen us in him before what? The foundation of what? Of the world. So people will, theology will say, Calvinism will say, the Reformed theologist will say, the Covenant theologist will say, see, before the foundation of the world, God knew that you were going to get saved and joining. But that's not what he, what did he, cho- what did he choose before the foundation of the world? The church, the body of Christ. And the us are those who are what? In the church, the body of Christ. Because of what what does verse 3 say? He's blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places where? In Christ. So the us is those in Christ. By the way, how would you get in Christ? By faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, I'm sorry. 2 Thessalonians 2. What Paul is going to demonstrate to us is that the ones who are called, the ones who are justified, the ones who are glorified, are the ones who are a part of God's eternal purpose. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2 and look at verse 14. Now, I know I said we're going to look at this, when we are, but just catch what's happening here. Whereunto he called you by what? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say by the preordained foreknowledge of God. He says you're called by what? Our God. Second Thessalonians two fourteen. He says you're called by our gospel. What called you? the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is what called you. See? By the way, verse 13, he says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the, what? Beginning... Chosen you to salvation through sanctification of spirit and belief on the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel. And what you know what everybody says about verse 13? See, God, before the foundation of the world, knew you were going to get saved, and that ain't what verse 13's talking about, because what's the context of verse 13? Verse 1 to 12. And 1 to 12 has to do about the Antichrist and going through the wrath of God in the 70th week of Daniel. And you know what? The salvation there isn't soul salvation. The salvation there is that you have not been appointed unto wrath. That's the context. So when we come back to Romans 8, guess what we're going to do? We're going to leave these words and these terms in their context. And we're not going to pull them out and make them say what what the, the theologians say and the commentaries say. We're going to have a proper viewpoint. What the commentaries, I got a shelf full of them back there. Even good grace guys, by the way. And you know what they'll say? That before the foundation of the world, God had preordained and pre planned that you were going to join. That you were going to hear the gospel and get accepted. And accept it and get saved. And be a part of the church, the body of Christ. That's not how it works. Because you have an issue of free will, of volition. See, they'll even go as far as to say that God, before the foundation of the world, knew that you would decide today on the 22nd of August in 2021 to wear a blue blazer, Rick, and a blue shirt and a blue tie and gray pants and white socks and black shoes. Guess what? I wore gray socks. (gasps) Ooh. But God, before the foundation, did that? No. You know what happened? I got up last night. I looked at Linda and I said, "I need to get my stuff ready for tomorrow, and I want to wear my gray slacks and my bl- and my blue blazer because it's the only things that fit right now." Okay? And she goes, "Okay." So she says, "Here's what shirt?" I said, "Well, I really, this is my one of my favorite shirts." So let-. she goes, "All right." I said, "Now you got to pick the tie because right now I'm seeing like eight shades of blue." So, and what did, we did that last night. You got up this morning and said, you know what, it's church day, it's Sunday, it's time I go to church, fellowship with the saints, and you got up, got dressed and came. Now the people that aren't here, they chose not to be here. You make a decision. It's called free will. It's called volition. And God does never overrides that. When he went and talked to Noah about building the ark, if Noah said, nope, I ain't going to do it, you know what we've been talking about? we had have been talking about Joe instead of Noah. Joe built the ark. Why? Because God, Noah, if, if Noah had said no, guess what? Noah wouldn't have been on the pages of the book. We'd have never known about Noah. Joe, he didn't, he said no <laughs> to Noah. So guess what we don't read about? We don't read about, why? They, you make decisions. And what Paul, come back to Romans 8, if, make sure you're there. So when we talk about predestination, foreknowledge, purpose, called, justified, glorified, we're not going gonna to look at it as it sits here in the context. And the normal way that this stuff gets taught is that anything and everything that happens in life was already preordained by God, controlled by God. So then what happens when your loved one dies unexpectedly. <laughs> Who did it? God did it. But that's not what they say, is it? They say, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't give enough money. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And they shift it to make you feel guilty. And in reality, what are you supposed to be, how are you supposed to be thinking about this? Hey, there's glory. The sufferings aren't worthy to be compared. Follow? Okay, this very critical section here. So we're going to let the verses tell us what's going on. Now look at verse 28. 20 minutes to do eight hours worth of stuff here. And we know that all things work together for good to them, that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. Paul has a lot, of, a lot to say about all things. Notice the verse. We know that all things. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. So the things... Has a context, doesn't it? It isn't just the things of life. You know, a friend of mine down in Florida, he, they were at a hockey uh, no, they weren't. They were at the football game, and he won the 50/50 little drawing. You know, quite a bit of money, too, from what it sounded like. How did that happen before the foundation? I mean Jay Vernon McGee, you know the names? MacArthur. R.C. Sproul, the big guys, it's what they all say, before the final, no, you know what he did? He went out and bought a number and got lucky. I told him, I said, where's my cut? And he said, what do you mean? I said, I was praying for you, brother. <laughs> and he's like, no, you weren't. And I go, I no, you weren't, I wouldn't, you know. But see, the thing is, is that, w- w- what are the all things here? It wasn't him, that guy went in the par- that drawing. What's the context Where are we sitting? What's Paul building in our thinking here about? About suffering. About our hope. Here's our hope in light of suffering. Where where anything, you know, anything in life can happen. So how do we deal with that? That's That's the context. Suffering. Think about that. You know, anything in life can happen. But none of it's going to stop the eternal purpose of God. So as we, are you going to suffer? Yes. Is it going to stop what God's doing? Not at all. Is it going to stop what he's doing through his son and how he takes us and places us into this living union, conforming us to the image of his son? No. God's plan and purpose will be accomplished. And that's what Paul's going to drive at here. Hey, we know that all things, all what? All the things out there of life. They're going to come now, and there's a benefit to them. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. In everything, give thanks. For everything, give thanks. There's the attitude. Things, Things are going to happen. And this issue in verse 28 of all things has a context, and the context is you're suffering because of the your connection to creation and your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and your suffering and you got a help you got a hope you got a helper you got some sustaining things here that are designed to work in the realm of your inner man in your thinking he searches the hearts for the mind of the spirit he's looking for that And grab hold of that because then you begin to see the eternal, the big picture, the eternal purpose. And when you get that, guess what? Nothing is going to stand in the way of that. So all things, and we know that all things, what's the next two words? Work together. Now, you know what the religionists say. They work together for them, for good to them that what? Love God, so if it ain't working, you don't love God, and that's not, that is so detrimental to someone's spiritual condition. Because that's not what the verse is talking about. They work together for what? For good. Always remember that. Nothing in life will ever stop God from accomplishing his plan and his purpose and glorifying his son and using. His body, you and I, members of His body, to accomplish what He planned to accomplish. It works, and we know that all things work together for good. When When things come, we are not to be defeated. We are to allow it to Work for us. Come back to chapter 5 of Romans. You guys, I hope you're catching what Paul's doing here. Uh, Because if you can catch this, then, yeah, you're going to have the knee-jerk reaction. That's normal. But, man, take a break. Count to 3,000 and just sit over here and say, wait a minute. What does Romans 5 tell me? What does Romans 8 tell me? Look at Romans 5. Look at verse 2. We've been here. By whom we have access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory. That word glory, when we went through here, I told you that issue of glory. We see the value and the worth in it. We find the value in the tribulation. That's where the glory is. Because what do we know? The tribulation, what? Worketh. It, when you have, it comes because life comes. You know, the old bumper sticker, life happened. <laughs> okay? And we take that, you know, what they, they always say, if God gives you a lemon, make lemonade. God didn't give you the lemon. Life gave you the lemon. You take who you are and you say, wait a minute. I know that tribulation work is patience, and patience, what? Experience. Because you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be here again one day. Have you ever had those moments when you go, man, I've been here before? And you go, deja vu? Ooh, 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 spooky. I did. I've had three of them in the last two months going, whoa, I've been here before. This is freaky. (laughs) Then I'm sitting there going, well, what did I do before? (laughs) Let's not do that again. You know, why? Because what ha- Life has that wonderful circle, that cycle comes back around. And then I get there, and guess what I have? I have experience, and experience what? Patience. Patience, experience, and experience, hope. You see, we know we don't live in a defeated mentality. We're, we shouldn't live in a defeated mentality. Mentality. We should live in the understanding that the trouble, the tribulation, life, its design is that it will benefit us. You remember, look over 2 Corinthians 4. We've been in these verses. We, we live in an opportunity to have our inner man grow. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, 17, and 18. We've been in these verses. Paul says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What's going to happen to you? What's the outward, what's life going to do to you? It's going to perish. I think about Paul in Romans there. Let God be true and every man a liar. What's the book say? The book says you're going to perish, and guess what? You're going to perish, but that inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, a, a moment compared to the eternal purpose of God. You think about that. You think, look at this eternity, what he's doing in the heavenly places. And you say, man, this little, I, I said it last week, your little bump on a dill pickle, and I got a couple comments. on I didn't know I was a bump on a dill pickle. You know? Well, you, you think... And he says, wait, it's only for the moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. God will never rob you of the opportunity to take the trouble and, and the tribulations of life and have them work for you. All of this is working for us. Now come back to Romans 8, verse 28. For we know, and we know, that all things work. They're designed... Life is designed to accomplish something in our inner man. It's designed to produce an advantage, an opportunity to be conformed to the image of his dear son, to put on display, we're talking about this next hour, to to do some things. So let's look at it from that light. And we're to view it all, everything, through God's frame of reference, which is the end of that verse, according to his purpose. So as we keep keep looking here, to them uh, all things work it together for good. (laughs) Nothing in life works against God's purpose. It's all good. Wait a minute, Rick. You know, my truck was broke down, right? Four days, well, if three weeks or whatever, you know, it felt like two months. I was ready to trade her in and buy a new one, right? Still am, but I a little slowed down a little bit now. It's running, right? Okay. All that's designed. You know what that should have produced in me? A new Toyota tundra would have worked. But you know what that was supposed to produce in me? Patience. And you know what? I should have had it because I have experience with that goofy truck (laughs) I've been here before you know we took the tonneau cover off of it and so I had an open bed to haul some stuff and do some things that I'm going to need to do in the future and uh, I'm sitting there and there's a piece that goes on the tailgate that is different than what came with the truck and uh, it has come off so we you know Monkey glue and monkey tape and monkey see, monkey do, and off we go, trying to hold it back down. And, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I've been here before. I had a truck like this one time, an old Mazda B2000. You could outrun the thing going up the hill and outrun the thing going down the hill. It was gutless, you know. But I had the same issue because I had, a, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, this, it'll be fine. Just relax. And, uh, and one day maybe we can get, get something different. But the thing is, is, it's designed to do what? experience. I've been here. For It's nothing in life works against God's purpose. To them that love God. Now, that's the thing that trips almost everybody up in this verse. Because Paul is talking about our love towards God. That's what he's talking about. And There is at times when believers don't love God, okay? And when you think about this issue of our love, you know, to them that love God, if you love God, you're going to live life according to His word to you. you're a believer and you're not living according to the word, guess what? You don't love God. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Now look, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Notice this. I made the statement. Here's the proof. Well, hopefully here's the proof. 1 Corinthians 8. You see, folks, when he says to them that love God, he's talking about you coming along, I coming along, and living our life according to his word. And when we do that, what are we going to do in Romans 8? We're not going to pull the, before the foundation of the world, God pre-planned that my truck would break down for four days, for four weeks. We're not going to pull that because that's not what he's talking about in Romans 8. What's he talking about? Here's the big picture, guys, and everything's designed to work. 1 Corinthians 8. Now, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul is rebuking the Corinthians. He's getting on them pretty heavy. And Verse 1, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we, have, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man, watch, love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know. So there's some knowledge there. But now watch verse 7. I think it's verse 7. Actually, it's verse 9. That's the verse I'm looking for. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are what? The issue that Paul's dealing with is the idols and all that stuff, but it's more fundamental that one, one believer is not loving another brother. One guy's doing one thing for, and causing the other guy to stumble. So, in the context where Paul is dealing with, he's rebuking the Corinthians and he's saying, verse 3 But if any man love God, if you love God, then you'll love your brother over there so much that you'll be careful with him and you won't cause the stumbling block. Okay? Again, context is critical in this. Loving God has to do with them what? Loving their brother. By what? Not holding him to a ridiculous standard over here about eating. Because what does Paul say, verse 4? As concerning, therefore, the eating, uh, we know that the idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. What do we know? But Verse 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father. You, we know that that, you know, good barbecue over there that they just sacrifice is <laughs> good eating. It's just what? It's just a piece of meat and it's nothing big. But the weaker brother over here sees that as what? Something that you don't do. So if I'm going to love God, then what am I going to do? Well, what's God's word tell me in that passage? Let's go have the barbecue, right? (laughs) No, he says what? Don't be a stumbling block. You see that? All right, look, Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. And notice verse 24. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Is it possible to not love God? Yes, it is. Notice you're going to love Jesus Christ where? In sincerity. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul here again. Dealing with the Thessalonians. So when he tells us, and we know that all things work to good, work together to good to them that love God. He's not talking about, oh, I love my Lord. Oh, how... He's talking about, here's what these passages saying. let's go do that. Don't, don't have this mentality of God preordaining anything. Have this mentality that His life comes at me, I have the opportunity to use it to work for me a far more and exceeding way to glory. 2 Thessalonians 3, look at verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. Now watch, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. What's Paul's thing? What what did he just say to the Thessalonians? We know, we have confidence that you're going to do what we're writing to you to do. Verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Two things there. He says, look, we know that you will do what we're writing to you to do, commanding you to do. You do and will do. And you know what we want you to do? We want you to direct your love into the love of God and into the patient waiting. He's talking about the Thessalonians' love and then Paul's desire for them to do what? Love one another, love God, and then patiently wait. So what would they be doing? They will be doing exactly what 1 Thessalonians 4 says that they were doing, and that is they had increased in the brotherly love department. And what were they doing? They were patiently waiting for the son. It's it's ironic that in chapter 8 of Romans, we are told to wait patiently for the hope. Verse 25 there. So when we, how verse 4, how do you love God? What's verse 4 say? We're confident in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. How do you express your love toward God? Well, one of the main ways is valuing and honoring his word to you. What's his word to you? What does it say? So come back to chapter 8, Romans here. To love God means that you're going to believe what God says. That's it. He said, I committed my love toward you and that while you were yet sinners, what? Christ died for you. The moment you trusted Christ, what did you do? You obeyed his word. You believed his word. That's what you did. You believed his word about who you are. What were you? Sinner. You're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's who you were. You you believed his word when he said, not only are you a sinner... But you need a Savior, and I have provided for him. You, you won, right there, my son. See, you, that's you loving God. You believed his word. Then his word said what? Walk the aisle and get baptized. No. What does his word say? Just believe me by faith. Faith is the issue. Faith and faith alone. Just trust me, exactly. What did you do? You believed God. You loved God. You did what His Word said to do. So you're saved. You're justified. Now we come over here and we're in our walk and we're going to love God. And, well, you know what? Before the world, God preordained that I'd be here. What? No. What does He say? Life's going to come, suffering's going to come, infirmities are going to come. It's going to intensify, and what you need to understand, 828, is that you've been called according to his purpose. And that's where we're going to pick up because time's up. We'll talk about his purpose. We'll talk about predestination. We'll talk about these terms, but you've got to get the context. He's not talking about God on the, you know, before he said heaven, and it was there. He had this ordained roadmap. map. You know, God loves freedom. And when God created creation, when he created the earth, and he created the heaven, and he populated it with his creatures, the angels, he knew he was taking a risk. Okay? Because he doesn't want robots, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, second hour, he doesn't want robots in his creation, he wants creatures who genuinely, willingly want to participate in worshiping him. So when he did that, when Lucifer fell, the reason that God didn't wipe him out was because he wanted a choice to be made now in his creatures. The angelic, we're talking about the angels, and in those in that choice, what did they have? God's wisdom or Lucifer's wisdom? God's plan or Satan's plan? And when Satan started pulling, God creates hell and stops it. But what did He do? He knew there was a risk. He knew that when He created Adam, that Adam would have a choice to make. When he laid that out in Genesis 2 about don't eat of that tree, eat of everything but that one, he was laying in front of Adam a choice. Obey God's word or listen to somebody's alternative viewpoint. He knew Adam would do what? Make a choice. And so God had a plan in place for Adam making the wrong choice. That's when the father of glory... The father looks at his son and says, you're going to have to go do for man what man couldn't do for themselves and show man how to do it. And the son goes, oh, can we do it now? He goes, no, we've got things to do, kid. Slow down. You know how you kids get, they get excited. <laughs> Slow down, calm down. And, off, and he says, you have a choice to make. He never overrides that choice, but he had a plan. He's got a plan. And that plan, he says, listen, here's my plan. Here's my son. Here's the lie. Take that. We'll we'll look at Eve in a couple weeks. In the second hour, we'll look at Eve and where Satan comes up and says, there's a mystery program out there that God doesn't want you to know, but if you join my ranks, you get the decoder ring and you can figure it out. And I'll give you the code. And he speaks this little bit of a secret thing. And what happens is, is Eve took it. And Adam took it. And man took off. And God said, that's okay, I've got the man coming. <laughs> My plan's going to work and nothing's going to thwart it. You follow that? So when you get into 8.28 and following here, we're gonna, I'm trying to keep you out of the weeds. We'll just stick in the verses, Okay. Life comes, God says, you got a choice. You can knee-jerk react and live in that flesh all day long. That's okay. That's your choice. Or you can come over here and love me and live where I'd like you to live and do what I'm trying to get you to understand to do. And you know what? You'll have life and peace rather than death and misery, functional death. You'll have life, Okay? All right, I took you over, so we'll give you five minutes back maybe next week, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here. And as we look at this passage in the next couple of weeks and so forth, Lord, I just pray that we would think about what you're trying to get into our inner man, into the realm of our thinking, and that we would just rejoice in that doctrine and that soundness of it so that we can live life victorious. Rather than defeated. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see you-